So this morning, I would like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to be taking a break this week and next. As many of you know, we have been going through the gospel according to Luke. That we have been in the midst of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. That we're getting to see His authority. That His kingdom is progressing more and more. And that the glory and the kingdom of God is being displayed on earth amongst people. People are being delivered from illnesses, blindness, and demons. That there is nothing Christ can't do by the authority of His word. And by His power. That He has overcome temptation. And He is making His way to Jerusalem. Now, this is kind of a little bit of a cheat. We're skipping ahead. But this is where Christ is going. This is whenever we read that He goes, I must go and tell of the good news. This is where He's going. Luke makes it very clear as we go through it that Christ is continually progressing closer and closer to make His way to Jerusalem. But this week we're taking a break in regards to his ministry out of Luke 5 and going into the triumphal entry. Today, as many of you may know, is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. It is the beginning of the Holy Week. It is the beginning of the last seven days that Christ would have on this earth. We will begin to see what it is that Christ did in the midst of those seven days. What led up to the cross and to his eventual uh, resurrection. It is a time out of all of the year that we stop and say, you know what, we need to recognize this. This is the pinnacle and the foundation of our faith. That Christ came and lived according to the scriptures. That he died according to the scriptures. That he was buried according to the scriptures. And he was raised again according to the scriptures. So every year we stop and say, you know what, let's focus in on this. Let's showcase this. Let's center around this. Now, it's no, it's, it's no mystery that Pastor Blake and myself are all about the gospel, and we'll find ways to put it into every single sermon that we can. But this week, we're going to focus in specifically what Christ did on those last seven days. So this Sunday, we'll be in Palm Sunday. So if you'll dive in with, with me to Luke, Luke chapter 19, and if you'll stand for the reading of the Word of God with me, we will go through the text together. We'll be starting in verse 28. Starting in verse 28. And when he had said these things, he being Jesus, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, uh, those who were sent went away and found it, just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And he said, and they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down uh, the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had been seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew... I'm sorry, that's where we'll stop. Pray, this is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. I don't want to give away the ending before we get there. So this week is Palm Sunday. This is one of the texts that is represented out of the Gospels regarding the triumphal entry of Jesus. That is today. This morning when the sun came up, that would be the time by which Jesus was making his way into Jerusalem. 
Now, at first thought, you'd be like, all right, Jesus has made his way to Jerusalem. There's a whole bunch of reasons why people would be uh, praising that Jesus made his way to Jerusalem. Maybe there were a lot of sick. Maybe there were a lot of people who were afflicted. And then once they saw Jesus and they heard all the great things he had done, they were like, yes, here he comes. Let's all praise. But there's a particular reason why this is a significant moment in time. That the, that the Lord himself coming into Jerusalem was a big deal. It was a very big deal. And the palms comes from Matthew's account. The term palm out of Palm Sunday comes from Matthew's account, and that's Matthew 21.8. So what is the reason for, reason for the rejoicing? Why is it that Jesus, this rabbi, who has been doing all these wonderful works and teachings around, uh, around the whole region of Judea, in Samaria, why is it that everyone seems to be rejoicing on this day? Why are they praising God? Praise the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise the king. Well, it comes from uh, prophetic texts. It comes from prophetic texts. Let's read in Zephaniah. Zephaniah 9. They had a reason for rejoicing because of this very situation. Zephaniah, I'm sorry, Zechariah 9, starting in verse 9. Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow, and have made Ephraim his arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. That sounds like a pretty good text, doesn't it? There's a reason for rejoicing that this king who's coming is going to bring peace amongst all the people, and that Jerusalem's going to be set free, that he is, his rule is going to be throughout all the nations, and, and even Greece would be ridded. So that's what's going on here, that Greece eventually was conquered uh, Israel and Jerusalem for a time in the, during the time of the Maccabees. So there's this rejoicing that the people were so excited. They're like, oh, here he comes. He's finally going to give it to the Romans. This king who comes in on a colt. Because what did Jesus come in on? On a colt. So they had reason for rejoicing. Zechariah, yeah, let's do this. Romans, done. We're going to be delivered. But salvation would be so much more than from Rome. Continuing on the text. Because that's where they stop. They're like, oh yeah, Rome is going to get it. Rome is going to get it. We can rejoice. But listen to the rest of the text. Then the Lord will appear over them, and His arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet, and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. I can imagine which gate Jesus walked through. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones, and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowl, drenched in the corners of the altar. Do you guys know what is drenched on the corners of the altar? Blood from sacrifices for the sins of the people. Hmm. This king who's coming in, he's going to be drenching the corners of the altar. Continuing on, on that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people for like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. We're going to see Jesus wearing a crown later. For how great in his goodness and how great his beauty, grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds. And He will give them showers of rain to everybody, the, everyone, the vegetation in the field. Jesus is going to bring abundance of blessing. An abundance of blessing. Verse 2. For the household gods utter nonsense. 
And the de- uh, deviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for the lack of a what? A shepherd. My anger, this is the Lord speaking, my anger is hot against the shepherds. And I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock in the house of Judah and will make them like his uh, majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone. What is Jesus called? The cornerstone. From him, the tent peg. From him, the battle bow. From him, every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall put to shame the riders on horses. The riders on horses. Did you notice something in there? Who was else who else was thrown into that, that mix with Greece? The shepherds, the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. Everybody who was in charge of leading the people of Israel was thrown in that same text. You're just as guilty, O shepherds. My anger is very hot against you, O shepherds. Now do you see why the Pharisees were a little upset? Why all these people who were rejoicing at this particular prophetic text saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise be the king who comes in the name of the Lord, who rides in on a donkey in a colt. Oh, rejoice. And the Pharisees are like, you need to rebuke your disciples. Stop saying that. Why? Because that text, they've got trouble coming. So the people needed deliverance. The people needed deliverance. The people needed peace. The people needed forgiveness and redemption from sin. The people needed salvation. Like usual, the people thought that the problem of their suffering and enslavement was somewhere else. (laughs) They looked at the Romans like, they're the problem. They're the problem. Always somewhere else. It was the woman you gave me. It was the serpent you created. If only Rome could be removed, it is their fault. It's the schools, it's the video games, it's social media. I am chosen, I am clean, I am righteous. They are not. They're the problem. But here's the hard truth. Bondage is real. And it was real. Being removed from home was real. Bound by the wicked authority of another was real, and Rome was there too. Their imprisonment and enslavement was a lot more than simply Rome. That's an easy, easy pass. Sin cast the people out of where they belonged. Insecurity and blessing... Sin removed the relationship and communion with God from His people. Sin causes shame that keeps us from God. Sin is what caused Adam and Eve to be removed from the garden. From before the fellowship and communion with God. After years and centuries of unfaithfulness by Israel, sin removed Israel from Jerusalem to be enslaved to Babylon. They have been removed from where they belonged. Sin has caused that. That's the real enemy in every situation in the Old Testament. It's very easy to look at another people and go, they're the problem. But the reality is, they were just simply a means of the judgment from the sin that they were enduring in. Romans 13, anyone? So, sin caused them to be removed from where they belonged. And they needed a deliverance. Humanity needs salvation. Not just so that way they can go and dwell at a piece of earth in the Middle East. Because that would be a lot of people to try to fill on a small mountain where Jerusalem is. We need to be reconciled back to the garden. We need to be reconciled from where we were supposed to be. And Jesus came to deliver so much more than Rome. The Lord has given Israel everything. His presence, His blessing, His grace, 
but sin abound even among all that they had been given. This was a time period where Israel had everything. During the time of Solomon, they had more gold than any other nation. They had more chariots than any other nation. They were set and secure. And guess what came in? Her name is Sheba. Her, she wasn't the problem. Solomon was. I like that one. And I like that one. And I like that one. I want this one, this one, this one, this one. He had 700 women. And he worshipped all of their gods to keep them happy. Sheba wasn't the problem. This is the depravity of mankind. This is the reality of what it is we carry. We could be given everything in the garden and the flesh we have will desire the forbidden fruit. Everything. We can be given everything. And we're like, hmm, but I want that. And once humanity has a bite, we desire the whole tree to explore. Ooh, now that I know what good and evil is, let's, let's kind of expand on some of these terms. Let's kind, of, let's kind of figure things out for ourselves. What's good, what's right, what's wrong. Let's define it for ourselves. The enemy of humanity, the enemy of mankind, was much greater than Babylon. The enemy of mankind is greater than Rome. The enemy of mankind is sin and death, the two things that humanity can do nothing about. You can make war with something that's internal, but what are you going to do? Are you going to hit yourself? Are you going to avoid death? So far I heard it's got a 100% success rate. Oh, I'm sorry, 99.999, Jesus. Humanity needs more than a king. <laughs> Humanity needs more than a warrior. Humanity needs the Lord of salvation. And this was the reason they should have been rejoicing. Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea that is in the waves roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate and the measuring line shall go out farther straight to the hill Garib, and shall then turn to Gora. The whole valley of the dead bodies and their ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron and the corners of the horse gate towards the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown any more forever. This is the kingdom of God. No more. This is the new covenant. They needed a greater kingdom. They were rejoicing because, hey, the Romans are going to get kicked out. Jesus is like, no, I'm coming to destroy a greater force than Rome. I'm going to destroy you and build you up. New heart, new covenant. I will be with you and I will be in you. So this is the main theme from this morning. Jesus came to Jerusalem as the visitation of the Lord. 
that would bring about the new covenant and restore his people. But so here's the question. What will you do with such a visitation? What will you do with such a visitation? So let's dive into it. Number one, the prophecy. Why is it that they were rejoicing? Okay, What was it they were looking for? What was going on with Israel? Why would they even need to be in this position? The prophecy. And this comes out of Jeremiah 29. Listen here. This is a prophecy that comes to them while in the midst of Babylon. They were in the midst of Babylon, exiled, cut off. And this is what the Lord had to say to them. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. Who will visit? The Lord. Who will visit? This is going to be very important. The Lord. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That there is the most wrongly used text in all the Bible, I, I believe. People use it for prosperity. People use it for all sorts of things. Did you know that this promise came in the midst of suffering and enslavement and judgment? This is the promise that you and I have regarding Christ, not about some material thing, not about a greater purpose in your life. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Is that just Jerusalem? No. It's not a piece of ground in the Middle East. It's something far greater. So these people were in the midst of exile because of their sin. They needed to be restored. They were in the midst of judgment. They were cast off from their land. They were cut off from God. They were enslaved by another army. These people needed a salvation. They needed deliverance. And the Lord gave them that. After 70 years, the Lord gave them that very thing. And they did some very interesting things that afterwards that we're going to talk about here in a moment. This is one of the texts from the book of Lamentations to give you a weightiness of their repentance while they were in the midst of slavery. Lamentations chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Listen to their words. How the Lord in His anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered His footstool in the day of His anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitations of Jacob. In His wrath He has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in first fierce anger... All the might of Israel, he has withdrawn from them his right hand. In the face of the enemy, he has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. This is, was written while they were in the midst of Babylon. They realized their sin after judgment came. They realized the reality of what it would cost them because of their forsaking the Lord. That they were cut off, cast out. And now they could do nothing but lament and repent. Lord, come visit us. Come save us. Come deliver us. We understand your anger. We know we don't deserve this. We know that we don't deserve your grace, your mercy, your salvation. But please, come save us. They took the blessing, grace, mercy, and love of the Lord for granted. They used the very good things that God had given them as an opportunity for sin and idol worship. They worshipped the created rather than the creator. Gold from the ground was used to form gods in the image they desired. The success of their labor created the opportunity to find for themselves what gods they would worship. Security and blessing can cause such a thing. Having too much security 
and too much blessing can cause such a thing. When a people becomes so prosperous by the works of their hands that they de- develop strong walls and defenses, the enemy comes from the rot on the inside. From the rot on the inside. The enemies become ideologies. The enemies become God-ordained institutions regarding marriage, children, and gender. When a people have nothing to fight, they fight each other. When the rot starts happening, mold starts consuming that which is good. It's contained, it's all inside, but it's not being used for anything. So what is our nation experiencing right now? A combat against your ideologies. Marriage doesn't look like this. A child can choose whatever they want. You're the problem. You're the problem, Christians. Do you know we heard that this week? The president of the free world took an opportunity that happened on Monday and said, the real victim is the shooter. The enemy becomes so much more inside. The rot from the inside. The enemies become anything that has God involved. So those dwelling with the gold can form the God that people want to worship out of the wickedness of their hearts. They said, we don't like this God of repentance and of sin. Form for us a different God that we may worship that. And they do. And social media eats it up. The digital church of the golden idols of this nation where they gather to worship. This is the reason Jerusalem was destroyed and set to live as slaves and exiles to feel the reality of their sin. They did the exact same thing. They had no enemies coming after them. They were set in their ways. Everything was going good. Solomon introduced some new gods, and they were like, oh yeah, let's worship those too. So they started giving their children to Molech. And if you've been coming here, I will tell you every single time what Molech is. Molech is a golden god whose fire burns in his belly. And they get it really, really hot. And do you know what they place on the arms of Molech who sits like this? Fire burning. Do you know what they place in those arms? Children. Alive. That they may receive riches, blessing from the ground, prosperity. Doesn't sound all too different. That the fires of our bellies were willing to offer up children for our own prosperity and blessing and purpose and title or whatever else we want to throw out there. We give children tomorrow, uh, to Molech all the time. Six million and counting. Israel did that. They started adorning themselves with all different types of ideologies. Filling their hearts all to complete satisfaction with whatever sin they can think of. Homosexuality is not new, folks. It's been around a long time. And they enjoyed it oh so much in Jerusalem. They adorned in it. They celebrated it. Repentance was found in the midst of their enslavement, though. When judgment came to a people, they said, Oops, our bad. Now that we know the cost of sin, so repentance was there. The whole book of Lamentations is the echoes of the repentance of the people of Israel crying out to the Lord from Babylon. What's the hope that they had? That God would visit them. That's it. That God would visit them. Be amongst them. Return to them. To restore them. To redeem them. To reconcile them back. Please, please, we know we failed. We know we've gone over this. We know, we know, we know, and we do not deserve it. But please hear our cries. And the promise they held on to was Jeremiah 29, whenever he says, I will visit you. So after 70 years, the Lord released some of the Israelites from Babylon to return to Jerusalem. He made good on his word. And that's where we find ourselves with chapter, or part two. The presentation. What did Israel do whenever they were released? They knew that the hope was there, that God was going to prosper them, secure them, deliver them, redeem them, to bring them back. 
So whenever they got back, they knew the prophecy and the hope that they had. So they started to rebuild. They started to rebuild by the working of their own hands, which was the problem in the first place. Because the promise says, I will rebuild, I will rebuild. But they began to rebuild. And the very first thing did, and here's the list right up here. This is what, I'm going to cover all of Ezra and Nehemiah all in one go. The first thing they rebuild when they get released is the temple. They get back out of Babylon and said, you know what, the first thing we need to do is to rebuild the temple and worship God. So they begin to rebuild this temple, begin to build it up. They're like, oh, we need to get our, our worship right. We need to get God back. He's going to visit us, so we need to do this right. We need to get things ready for Him to come. We need to get ready for the King to come. So let's start with the temple. So they start rebuilding the temple. And they, and they get all around. They're all so excited. God said that He would give us a new heart, so we need to get our hearts right. And the law would be in our hearts, which was the promise. When the temple was complete, did the Spirit of God come? Did God, did God come and visit after the temple was done? No. He did not come. So they got upset. They got angry with each other and said, You know what, grandchildren? You guys were born in Babylon. You have no place with the temple. They turned inward again. To their own grandkids. You can't help because you were born in Babylon. You have no place with this temple. Well, obviously, the temple wasn't the issue. Second part, the Torah. They're like, you know what? Well, I guess if, if we can't get the temple right, I mean, if, if we got the temple, maybe we could get back to the community. Maybe if we're back to being a covenant people together to worship, maybe then God will come. So guess what they did? They pulled out the Torah and they started reading the Torah, Ezra did. And all the people got super excited. And they all consecrated themselves. They adorned themselves in repentance and came and listened to the word of the Lord and said, Lord, we are sorry. We're sorry. We won't mess up again. Did God come back then? No. The Spirit of the Lord didn't come back. Oh, so they got upset with each other. They're like, you know what? I know the reason why God didn't come is because some of you intermarried with Babylonians. You're unclean. Remember last week? You're unclean. This is the origin story of the Samaritans. The Samaritans were kicked out of Israel. The Samaritans were kicked out of Jerusalem because they were mixed blood, mud blood. Now, do you see the conflict between the two? They were treated badly. So the very next thing they decided to do is they're like, you know what? Maybe it's because Jerusalem's not done yet. Maybe Jerusalem needs to get finished. So Nehemiah comes and he rebuilds the walls, the tattered walls. You know what? Maybe God will come back if we get the walls ready, right? The city's done. The people are here. The temple's here. We just need to build this wall. Let's get to it. And so they did. They rebuilt the wall. Through all the adversity and trials that they experienced, they rebuilt the wall. Did God come back? No. So they got upset yet again. They said, you know what? Anybody living outside this wall has no part of Jerusalem. They did it all over again by the working of their own hands. They rebuilt the things by their own hands, by their own standards. They set up things for themselves. God said he's going to give us a new heart. I better fix my heart. What? Did you hear what God said? He will give you a new heart, not that you will fix it. Well, maybe if I just get my community right, maybe if my relationships need to get right, so I'll set things right with my relationships, then God will be pleased. That didn't work either. Well, maybe I'm just a little too loose with the way that I think about the world. Maybe if I just get the... the, the, the doctrines right, or, or maybe if I just get my thinking right on these issues politically, that, that God will be pleased, and he'll, he'll come. Humanity has a propensity to want to save ourselves. I'll build the temple. I'll, build the, I'll rebuild the community. I'll put up the walls. Over and over and over again. And this is where Israel is at today. The text that we're reading today 
this is where we're at. They're enslaved by Rome. Their community is broken up. Their temple is being monitored by Rome. And they are upset that Rome is the problem. Maybe God will come back if we get rid of Rome. And in walks Jesus. This week is going to be very important. Because that promise where the Lord said he would visit and restore and reconcile and bring a new heart and write the walk, he walks right through the gates this morning. He comes. They didn't do anything. They're enslaved. And he walks right through. God is visiting the people. And as we go through this week, we're going to see what Jesus does when he gets inside Jerusalem. What is it that he does and kind of mixes things up with the people there? He goes to the temple. We're going to see what happens to him whenever he reaches the temple. What is the decision that Israel makes with him? Now, if you know, if you know, you know exactly what Israel does with God who makes his way to the temple. He makes his way all the way to the heart of the people. And what did they say? No. Barabbas. We have no king but Caesar. So guess what? They take him out of the temple, through the community, out of the wall, and crucify him outside. Outside the wall. So this week is all going to be about the visitation of God. That God made his way through the gate. Through the gate that was broken down. Through the gate that was up and needed to be repaired and restored. Not physically, but spiritually and eternally. That he goes and he teaches the community what is the right way to view the Torah. What is the right thing to do. That he causes division amongst the people. People are like, that's not right. That's not right, Jesus. And they even get to the point where they question his authority. The Pharisees do. Like, who is this guy? He makes it all the way to the temple. And they say, nope, crucify him. God visited. And they rejected. This brings us to number three. The problem. This is the problem that we find ourselves this morning. Because the reality is it is a triumphal entry. Because God has finally visited He has made his way inside the city. A victorious king, a warrior like no other, who will secure and restore his people once and for all, for all of eternity. To put a new heart in them. To reconcile them back to God and back to each other. And to secure them in the kingdom forever. Do you see what he's doing? New heart where he makes his way into the temple to reside and be with you reconciles you back to God and to each other, unification in Christ, and then secures you in His kingdom forever. He did rebuild Jerusalem. Jerusalem's just not made with hands. He will secure it for eternity. So here's the problem. This is the problem we're going to find ourselves. Luke 19, 41 through 44. This is what Jesus had to say. After they all got done cheering, this is what Jesus said regarding Jerusalem. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you, it's a wall, surround you and hem you in on every side. Your enemies will do this. And listen, they will tear down to the ground you and your children within you. That's the covenant community people. And they will not leave one stone upon, uh, upon one another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. But Jesus, they're rejoicing. They're glad that you're here. They put palm branches down and everything. How could you weep over that? Because of what they saw. Here comes the king who's going to get rid of the enemy for us. 
We're righteous. We're called. We're chosen. We're not the problem. Rome is. Stinking Rome. Here he comes, and he weeps because they're so blinded that they think the enemy's out there to not realize the enemy is right here. The whole time. New heart, new temple, new kingdom. During Holy Week, we will see Jesus. Jesus cleanses the temple. The very first place he goes, whenever we enter the text, and we come to Monday, uh, Monday, Thursday, and we also have a list of the scriptures of the whole week out there for you to read uh, if you choose to do so. The first thing he does is he goes right to the temple and turns over tables and starts whipping people. And he said, you have made this a den of thieves. The very first thing he does whenever it... What? Wait, bro, we were just cheering you, man. Why did you go to the temple first? Why didn't you go after the Caesars and the Roman legion people first? He goes right to the heart of the people. Exactly where they needed to go. Exactly where he needed to be. We see Jesus preaches the parable of the wicked tenants. He foretells his own death to the very people inside Jerusalem. It says, there were wicked tenants among you. God had given a portion of property, a vineyard, to to you to manage. And they kept killing all the servants. So the master of the vineyard sends his son, and they kill him. For we want to take this for ourselves, is what they said. He says this in the midst of Jerusalem during this week. That you're going to kill the son because you want Jerusalem for yourselves. Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. Jesus foretells the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus goes through the seven woes of the Pharisees and scribes. Jesus divides people in the community. Jesus talks about the breaking down of the temple and the walls of Jerusalem. Everything they built with their own hands to receive the Lord will all be destroyed because of their preference of their own works rather than God's grace and salvation. The salvation that God offered to them out of the midst of exile. They said, no, we are the salvation. We will rebuild the temple ourselves. We'll rebuild the people ourselves. We'll rebuild the walls for ourselves. You can just come and participate when we're done, Lord. When we're done building all the things that we want to build, then you can come. But he goes, nope, I'm here and all of it's going to get destroyed. Everything you just did. Temple, Jerusalem. I'm going to divide mother from daughter, son from father. Wait a second. Oh, he's supposed to restore us and reconcile us. Yeah. But not like you think. Jesus will be rejected at the temple. He will carry the cross mocked through Jerusalem, the community. Jesus will, cast, will be cast outside the walls to be killed through crucifixion. God said he would visit to bring salvation, eternal life, and peace. What did the people do when they actually came? They rejected him, tossed him outside, and killed him. God visited, and they didn't want him. God said he would visit to bring salvation, and they rejected him. Even when God comes from his throne to restore humanity to the garden... Humanity rejects him and kills him. The Lord left his own throne to come to you and to me. To bear everything that we could not bear. To secure you and me back into the eternal kingdom once and for all. And what did humanity do? Nope. No. Kill him. We, by our own death, were completely separated from the garden. We did it ourselves. Death came to us because we did with our own hands what we were told not to do. And when God says, I have come to restore you, by those same hands that we took and ate the fruit, we nailed him to a cross for it. I don't want your salvation. I like my fruit. I like my temple. I like my community. I like my walls. Even when God comes from his throne, humanity rejects him and kills him. But do you know what? 
he shows us what love actually is. In the midst of all of that, in the midst and the face of all the mocking, rejection, questioning, his own creation looking at him and saying, we don't need you. We've got Babel. We could pull God down anytime we want. We can go to God anytime we want. We don't need you. In the face of all the mockery, you're going to see it this week, whenever they look at the king of glory and say, we have no king but Caesar. Open up, O doors, and let the king of glory come in. Open up, O ancient gates, and let the king of glory come in. In this moment, they rejoiced and they led him through the gates. But as soon as he made his way to the heart, they said, nope. Because we were shown what love actually is. And we're going to see it this week. Romans chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of our rejection, in the midst of spitting in his face and saying, God don't need you, he goes, okay, presses forward, presses forward, continues to press forward. But God shows His love for us that while we are still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. In the face of your rejection, in the face of humanity saying, we don't want you, I like my fruit, I like what I have for myself. He endures it, dies on the cross, and still offers you grace. Open up doors, open up gates. Your temple inside you, Open the door that the king of glory may come in. Because the Lord said, I'll visit you. But the real question is this. What are you going to do with that visitation? When Jesus walks through the door, are you going to celebrate at the onset of everything he can provide for you? I'll take some Jesus if he does this. I'll take some Jesus if he does that. If this is the promise that I'm going to have in Jesus, then I'll take him, yeah. But the minute he comes in and starts messing with your life a little bit, wait a second, you're a Christian? Because the day's coming where you're going to be more shamed in public because of the fact that you are a Christian. Your community, your friends, your family, all messed up just because Jesus came in. And he's going to make his way to your heart. And we realize this in closing. He will make his way to your heart in closing this. Revelation chapter 3. What will you do with such such an invitation? Revelation 3. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. And I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous, and what? Repent. And here it is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. I will visit you. So the question becomes, what will you do with that visitation? 
Will you say like them, oh, I've made myself wealthy. I don't have a care in the world. I don't need this in my life. Or will you say, you know what? I'm poor. I'm wretched. I'm pitiable. And I need salvation. When he makes it to your temple, to your heart, what are you going to do with him? He's standing at the door. What are you going to do? Receive him or reject him? What will you do now with the visitation of the Lord of salvation? When he knocks, what will you do? Answer and receive him with joy or reject him like we will see as we go through Holy Week? Will the Lord of salvation weep over you like he did with Jerusalem? And your failure to recognize his visitation in your life? Or will you rejoice that the King of glory has come to abide with you? Open up, O door. Open up, O gates. Let the King of glory come in. He's the only one who can reconcile you, redeem you, cleanse you, and secure you for all of eternity. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you are the King of glory, that you are the mighty warrior, that you are the one, you are the Lord of lords and King of kings who endured all the rejection, all the mockery, and all of the the pain and sorrow and suffering of our wickedness and our sinfulness. And yet you still walk through the gates. And yet you still triumphantly come in. We receive you. We delight in you. We rejoice in you. May our hearts be open to you. May the doors of our hearts be open to you. Whenever you come and you knock, may we receive you with with joy and gladness and by faith. May we not reject you like we will see this week. May Palm Sunday be a time of rejoicing, a testimony of our reception of you, that the King of glory has made his way in, that a new heart has been placed within me, that I am secured for all of eternity. I've been unified with Christ in, by love, and I am secure for all of eternity in his kingdom. A new covenant has passed down to me. I break the bread, I eat it, and I drink the cup by faith. I receive the King of glory. Lord, work in the hearts of your people. May we rejoice as well at the reality of what you have done for us this week. And as we read through your text during Holy Week, may we see all that you have endured to secure us. That the gospel is no light thing, but a wonderful, glorious triumph in the face of rejection. Christ, be with us now as we sing that you are the Lord of my salvation. It is in his name we pray. Amen.